This episode of Rule Breaker Investing is brought to you by Casper, an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the price. Because everyone deserves a great night's sleep. Get $50 off any mattress purchased by visiting casper.com fool and enter promo code fool. It's the Rule Breaker Investing Podcast with Motley Fool co-founder David Gardner. And welcome back to Rule Breaker Investing. I'm David Gardner. This is a very special episode of Rule Breaker Investing for at least two reasons. The very first reason is that this is our 52nd Rule Breaker Investing podcast. And if you're doing the math with me, you recognize there are 52 weeks in the year. So this completes the first year of weekly podcasts done by me and my wonderful producer, Rick Engdahl. And I would like to start this by thanking Rick for his extremely competent, capital F, foolish, friendly, knowledgeable help. One thing that you don't know, if you're merely a Rule Breaker podcast investing listener that Rick and I know, is that I screw up constantly. I'm constantly asking Rick every two or three minutes, I may sound eloquent to you, but I'll say, Rick, I want to take that again. And I I talk over that line. Sometimes I do it three times in a row before I get it right. And Rick patiently, quietly, without ever complaining, edits all that and puts it together into this podcast that I hope you've enjoyed, if not all 52 weeks, for at least one or two weeks so far this year if you're a new listener. But it's been a real pleasure. And Rick, I'm looking across the glass at you, thanking you very much for the wonderful work that you've done in our first year together. So, Reason number one that this is special is because this is the culmination of our first year. And when we do a podcast next week, and guess what? It's going to be Rule Breaker June mailbag. So you know it's coming. That will start our second year of Rule Breaker investing. I would be remiss if I did not thank you personally, whoever you are, for listening, for caring enough to tap in through iTunes, Spotify, or any one of a number of different hubs and finding us. And yeah, maybe even sometimes giving us a nice review on iTunes or telling your friends about us and what we're doing here at Motley Fool Podcasts writ large, all five of them, all five of which I enjoy. And this one of the five, Rule Breaker Investing, started a year ago uh, this month. The second reason that this particular podcast is special is because I'm going off the reservation a little bit with this one. I did foreshadow this last week, so if you're a regular listener, you knew something weird was going to happen this week, and indeed it is, in two respects. The first is, we're going to talk board games, probably a little bit more than investing, but in order to justify your listening, if you're not exactly interested in board games, I've called it the my five favorite board games that will make you a better investor. So yes, I am connecting this back to our core material. Arguably, and I'm open to you arguing this with me on Twitter or direct by email, rbi at fool.com. Arguably, some of these ties between games and investing may be somewhat tenuous. Somebody who's looking meticulously at our work, which I'm sure no one does, but anybody who were, hypothetically, to look meticulously at this work might see questionable connections occasionally being made between this favorite board game of mine and investing, but I'll hope to largely silence those skeptics and critics with some clear relationship between the two. So, that's one thing that's distinctive about this this week, is that um, we're talking board games. But we're also, another distinctive thing, we're having an interviewee. So, a little later this podcast, I will be joined by the designer of one of my five favorite board games. His name is Rob Davio, and I, I know you're going to enjoy my interview with Rob in this podcast, which lasts about 10 minutes or so. I want to mention as well, 
another rule-breaking moment for this podcast. We are breaking new ground this week because... I enjoy Rob so much that I intend to have a longer conversation with him. Rob has graciously accepted a longer-form interview, and so for the first time, we'll have an extra here for our listeners, Rule Breaker Investing. We'll have an extra that will come out this Saturday. So if you enjoy my talk a little bit later with Rob, and you're like, that guy's cool, I want to hear more about his life and business and game design and what's going on with him, then you're going to have that opportunity in a longer-form, 20-minute or so, extra Uh, coming out this Saturday. I hope you'll enjoy that, especially if you're a gamer. I know you'll enjoy that. Okay, let's talk board games. Now, I do have a list of five favorite board games. Are these my favorite, favorite board games? No. I like very much, at least, each one of these games, and a couple of them might be my very favorite games. But my aim here is not to be the gamer telling you what are the best games or what I like the most. My aim is to find games that do, in fact reinforce or illustrate tenets or principles that also work in investing. And for for that goal, these are my five favorites, at least as of now. There are new games coming out every week, month, year. I may have mentioned before on this podcast, I own a lot of board games, and I have a lot of... So, I know the games that are coming out. Uh, I care. I follow it. I, fo- I care more about a game that's coming out this fall I care more about checking the schedule for that than I ever look for IPOs. It's kind of sad. Perhaps you'd expect more of me, this co-founder of The Motley Fool and the stock picker guy. You'd probably think I'm out there searching all the time to see what the next great thing is coming out public on the stock market. Occasionally I do that, but I care even more about what the next great board game is. And that's, uh, for some of you, a sad admission, and for some of you, perhaps even a silly or even glorious admission. So, that's kind of where my head is. I love games. I have 767 card and board games at home. I know that number because they are in a spreadsheet, which I simply keep alphabetically all the games that I have, and occasionally I kick out games and delete them from my spreadsheet. Why do I have so many games? I'm not a collector. I'm not somebody who wants to have a board game collection that I have to give away at the end of my life or any I'm not trying I'm not going to put it in a museum anywhere. It's definitely not worthy of any museum unless it's a really geeky museum. It's just that I love games. I want to be when I pick stocks. I'm surrounded by games in my study at home. Uh, I have these card and board games on shelves all around me. I like to feel that I'm in a game. I think investing is a great game. I think business is a great game, uh, full of winners and losers. It's not always competitive. It's as much a cooperative game. And uh, but when you win the games of investing in business, you really win. You really win for your family and for your choices that you can make in life. And I th- speaking of life, I think life is a great game. Now, if you know the game of life, the one with little pink and blue pawns with a spinner, that's not such a good game. I don't think that's a very good game. I'm talking about the other life, the other capital L life, the one that you and I are living. I think that's a great game, and I do believe that it's more of a cooperative game than a competitive game. And those who get it and have some fun winning at that um, are some of the happiest people I know. All right, enough blabbing about games and what games mean to me. Let's go. We're going to go alphabetically through this list. My five favorite board games that make you a better investor. Now, for each of these, I'm going to briefly I'm going to say the name, briefly explain what the game is and how it works, and then tenuously connect it to investing. And because we have that interview with Rob Davio coming up, I'm going to be a little bit quicker with these. Of course, I'd love to say a lot. I can say a lot more about each of these games, but I realize I may not even be speaking to people who like games, so I don't want to waste too much of your time. Let's get let's get going. First one up alphabetically, five favorite board games that make you a better investor. Let's go with Acquire. Now, Acquire 
is decades old. It was designed by an American game designer named Sid Saxon. It's one of those games that a lot of us may well have played. Other games that are not on my list today, games like Monopoly, Risk, these are games that, in America at least, have had currency for decades. Even if you don't think of yourself as a gamer, you might well have sat down to a table playing Risk or Monopoly. Acquire not quite as big a name as those two games, but still one that came out as kind of a hotel chained theme game. And essentially how this game works is that each of us playing has a little tile rack in front of us, kind of like Scrabble tiles, except rather than have letters, these tiles have a letter and a number, which is like a a coordinate on a grid. So if you have A4, you have the tile that fits on A4 on the grid, and it's bigger than a chessboard. It's kind of a large grid, and as you lay down your tiles, which we do, we go around the table and we each lay down a tile, you're basically building hotel chains. And after you lay down a tile, you're allowed to buy stock. Anybody seeing the connection to being a better investor with this one? Good, because this is the most overt of the five. You're buying stock in that hotel chain. And then when somebody else places another tile right next to yours, that hotel chain grew and your stock goes up. It becomes more valuable. And so it's a tile laying game. Uh, uh, If you're a gamer, you know the tile laying genre. There are a number of really great tile laying games. If you're not as much a gamer, a lot of people don't even know what a tile laying game is as a genre, but this is a great and very early decades old example of it. And so you're kind of tile laying and growing the value of the corporations. And um, and you're and then you buy the shares, so you have some money. You're buying shares. You want your, you you know where some of the corporations are going to grow, right? Because you've got your tile rack in front of you, so you can see the future. You can see where some of the growth can be, but you don't know what I'm about to do, etc. And one of the fun concepts that I really appreciate about Acquire, before I go to our next one, is that typically the way to win Acquire is by buying a lot of shares, not of the biggest corporation, but actually of buying, or hotel chain, but by buying a lot of shares of one of the smaller ones. Because what happens in the game as as a smaller chain starts getting near a bigger one on the game board, as we build them closer to each other, whoever lays down a tile that actually connects those two to each other just caused the equivalent of a merger in the game. And as is true in stocks in real life. Maybe you heard something about LinkedIn in the last four weeks or so. As is true in stocks in real life, the companies that get bought out are bought out sometimes at really nice premiums. And so the people who really make money are, in the case of LinkedIn, the LinkedIn investors. The people who don't necessarily make as much money but now own LinkedIn are the Microsoft investors. And that's true in this board game. So this board game is very evocative of mergers and buyouts, of owning shares. It's very accessible. It's not complicated. It's one of those games that has about three or four pages of rules. Um, a lot of people have played it growing up in families. Might be part of the reason I'm glad we're doing this podcast this week is because it's summer, summertime, beach, beach, summer equals board games, at least for some of us, me. So maybe you'll, you'll have an opportunity to purchase or buy this game. But I like Acquire a lot. It's pretty simple mechanisms, and I would highly recommend it to anybody. I find it very accessible for kids 12 and up. Oh, and before we move to our next one, what's the relationship to making you a better investor? I think I just covered at least three points, but very explicitly, it's about buying shares and watching those shares go up, and se- buying and selling. Uh, it's about it's a business simulation, which is always helpful. And and a third one is just it has you very much trying to value things um, and trying to think, you know, should I? Because you have money, but you could buy any one of the hotel chains on the board. So you're having to think about how much would you pay for this one versus that one. So again, of my five games here this week. This is the most obviously one that helps you be a better investor. Okay, number two. 
Number two is a game called Dominion. Now, for again, for gamers, for people who might even spend some time on my second favorite website, I think you know what my favorite website is. But my second favorite website is actually BoardGameGeek.com. So each of these games has a page on BoardGameGeek. BoardGameGeek is kind of like a database with every game that was ever made. It has a page, and on that page, there's everything from pictures of the game, reviews of the game, discussion board forum questions about the game, people pin up videos of themselves playing the game. Um, it's just kind of like a magnet site for any game, even going back thousands of years to the, the game Go, which you may remember recently a computer beat the best human in the world at. That game has a page on Board Game Geek. So, so does each one of, of these games. And Dominion came out about 10 years ago or so, and it contained an important innovation. Um, so, for the first time, it was a game where it's called a deck building game. And what that means is that you start with a small deck of cards and you draw a hand from your own personal deck, and it's identical to my deck. You and I start with the same 10 cards. We draw five, we shuffle them up, and we draw five cards, and our, our decks are identical. But one of the things you do with your hand of cards is you buy new cards that are out there on the table, that are a common pool that all of us could buy. You buy new cards and add them to your deck. You put them in your discard pile, but when it comes time to redraw and you're out of a deck, you need to shuffle up that discard pile and out come the new cards that you've been buying. And I'm doing the same thing. And so what happens as we're playing the game together is that we end up with different decks. And I won't go into, because we don't have time this week, how to score the game or the strategy, but the key innovation here is deck building. You are literally building your own deck of cards over the course of our 30 to 60 minute play session, trying to outscore me. And one of the really cool innovations that Dominion has brought as well is that the cards available for purchase each game change. So if you just buy the base set, and this is a game that has expansions, oh boy. Does Dominion have probably about 10 or so expansions, so you could buy lots more cards. Um, but just the base game has about 25 different types of cards, uh, and they come in little packs of 10 each, so uh, you can buy more than one of them. But in a given game of Dominion, you only, of those 25 different sets of 10 cards, you only play with 10 of them. So each game, you kind of mix and match. You can choose which ones you want to play with, or you can randomize. And so you end up with incredible replayability, even just from the base game, for this deck-building game. So, Dominion, one of my favorite games, our family. I think we probably have played this game together more than any other. My kids are now, at least one of them has graduated from college, so you know we're kind of at the latter stage of being a board gaming family with little kids around the table. We're not so little anymore. So, looking back now, over 10 or 15 years, we've probably played Dominion more than any other. Now, I bet you're wondering, Dave, I hear you, and I don't quite know what you're talking about, but deck building sounds interesting, but how does that make me a better investor? Well, this is obviously not a game that is replicating anything about the stock market. In fact, Dominion is themed kind of a generic medieval fantasy theme. So, the cards that you're buying and selling are things like a castle, or a troubadour, or a, a mercenary. And so, um, it, it looks more like a medieval card game set up on a table. But what I love about Dominion that we all benefit from as rule breaker investors is I love the mixing and matching of the different card sets and replayability that happens. And what I'm seeing all the time in the business world is I'm seeing people come up with 
brand new ways to approach um, old questions. I remember at some point in the last year on this podcast, I mentioned the book The Medici Effect, which is an excellent book, and it tells us all about how um, the Medici family and really Florence uh, back in the Renaissance was an incredible melting pot of so many different cultures, often very commercially focused, people from all around the world, and artists, and all gathering, and and bumping up against each other, odd cultures, and the mixes and things that grew from that. And that's really what starts a lot of businesses today, are those kinds of crazy ideas that somebody had to start something, and it's a, it's a new thing, and it succeeds. And the internet is making it possible for us to be exposed to other new ideas, or um, tropes or people, and what's coming of that is incredibly creative. There's a whole creative class emerging from that. So when I think about Dominion, I love the combinatorial factors of playing with lots of different cards every single time, and I think it kind of opens your mind to rule-breaking possibilities and seeing new ideas and new strategies emerging all the time. And I think I think that's at least helpful for me or you as a business person. And since Warren Buffett said I'm a better business person because I'm an investor, and vice versa, I hope you see the connection. All right, next up is the game of innovation. This is one of my favorite games. I love this game, but I will admit, I can't often get all of my family members to play this game with me. It's either because I'm so good at it that they won't dare take me on, but I suspect that's not actually the case because I don't necessarily often win this game. I think it's just because um, we have so many games they just like other games, but I love the game of innovation. Innovation is a card game, it takes you through the 10 um, eras of human life. So, the first era is basically the Stone Age kind of thing. And so, the innovations, the cards in the deck of the Stone Age are things like the wheel. And uh, so, you, you, you play through a full game of innovation with piles of cards from different eras representing innovations that occurred in those eras. You are building up your own tableau in front of you. Now, your goal in the game is to accomplish a certain number of achievements. And achievements typically happen in two ways. The first is that you're just racking up more points, because these cards have point values, and you're just kind of doing that in front of you. But the other is to accomplish certain goals. Like, for example, if you could have the most cards in one of the five colors of suits, that's not actually one of the achievements of the game, but it's kind of like that. So, there's a point scoring mechanism, but then there's also a set collection mechanism. And I, I just love the feeling of progressing over the course of human history and seeing all the innovations spill out, and each one of them is a unique card and has a unique game effect. This, of my five games, probably is the most gamer's game of them all. So, you really have to really like games and card games and be willing to read through rules and understand, because every single card has its own little rule that it kind of makes or breaks. And so, it's a game most suitable for people who really like a little bit of a deeper, more complex card game. Now, I know you're out there. I know you're listening to me. And I'm one of, I'm like you in this regard. So, I love the game of innovation. How does this make me a better investor? Well, I mean, just connecting and seeing all of these innovations. If you just think about the importance of invention in human history, and you, you really fast forward, and we've talked about this on this podcast over the, list of the last year, you think about how there's more accelerating innovation happening this year um, than, in some cases, 100-year periods of the past. I mean, we're really scaling and ramping at a rate that is breathtaking when you look at the number of innovations. I was just writing my Rule Breaker introductory column the other day for the Rule Breaker service, and I was reflecting on three things. Ollie, which is a fully 3D printed bus that is capable of carrying 12 people around. It is an autonomous driving machine directed by IBM's Watson interface. 
It is operating presently in National Harbor, just across the river from Alexandria, Virginia, where Full HQ is based. 3D printed. Or by extreme contrast, but also happening this year, I read the story of Stan Larkin. If you haven't heard of Stan, he's a guy who had a genetic heart problem. In his teens, it was already recognized uh, that he could have heart failure at any moment. So the decision was to remove his heart, which they did, and Stan awaited a transplant for more than a year. More than a year. 555 days it took him before he did successfully happy ending get a heart transplant. But what did Stan do in the meantime for 555 days? Wearing a backpack, he had a pump that did for his body what his heart would have done otherwise. But this is a living, breathing, successful, now I assume happier human being walking around near you out there in the world with no heart for 17 months. That is truly remarkable. Or how about something slightly sillier but even more dangerous, arguably? And that would be the latest work from the scientist whose real-life work inspired the Jurassic Park novels and movies and if you just Google the phrase chicken you'll see what he's up to for real today. Crazy? Maybe. We'll see. But So, I just think about all of the innovations. And so, one thing I love about the card game innovation, of course, that I think helps all of us be better investors, is to wake up to all of the innovation out there. Be open to it. Think about how it changes things. And the card game does a good job replicating that. And number four. Number four, I alas, I'm going to apologize ahead of time. If you feel motivated to buy any of these games, I love it. Great. I wish Rule Breaker Investing had had a sponsorship from a game store this this week, but we don't. But if you do, I apologize ahead of time. This is the one that you probably won't find. Or if you do, it's at some crazy high price because it's not really in print anymore. But it's a game called Modern Art by Reiner Knizia. Reiner Knizia is one of the foremost game designers of our time. Reiner is a German expat living uh, in the UK today. He is one of the few people in the world who has made a full-time job of game design. We've gotten to know Reiner some over the years. He's just a peach of a guy. Um, and uh, He's come to Full HQ and led some game sessions here because we're very open to any game designer who wants to come and spend some time here at Motley Fool Headquarters. We have a lot of gamers here. Anyway, we did connect with Reiner that way over the years. But what I love about modern art is it's a game in which you and I are bidding on each other's paintings. So you have a hand of cards and it's paintings and it's kind of silly paintings. It's it's in, in a little if you've ever been one of those who makes a joke about how can someone how can a so-called painting some modern art that's just a green dot off center and nothing else have just fetched 5 million dollars in a Sotheby's auction if you if you have that kind of arguably slightly capital F foolish cynicism in you, then you'll you'll be humored by the game of modern art because you have a hand of paintings that are kind of like that, and and you lay one down, and everybody else around the game bids for your painting. So this is one of the bidding games out there. Earlier I mentioned Acquire as a tile laying game. I mentioned Dominion is a deck building game. If you're not a gamer, these are new mechanisms that we didn't really grow up with that didn't really exist so much in popular culture. If you're playing games, this is another similar thing. I bidding and auction game. There are a lot more bidding games out there where you are valuing things that are put out on the table. And One fun aspect of modern art is that um, there are only five or six suits of cards. Each one of them is a, a modern artist. And so, if you start laying down a card from the same artist I do, that creates, just like it would in real life, popularity and buzz. 
And so all of a sudden, people start paying more for the second painting, the second card laid out from this suit, than for the first one, and even more for the third than the second. And so it kind of simulates what happens in the market at large, which is my connection, by the way, to investing, is that the popularity, sometimes the hype that pops up just because something starts looking popular and other people start buying it, very much alive in, in that game of modern art. Modern Art, again, not an easily obtainable game. There are other good bidding and auction games out there, but because uh, this one is near and dear to my heart, we've owned it since 1999, I think, when it came out. Uh, this is a wonderful strategy game. Reiner Knizia has other auction and bidding games, and if you're really motivated, you can go to Board Game Geek and start searching, and you'll find some more that are purchasable today. But um, it is that dynamic, again, of trying to value things and watching hype cycles within a single 60-minute board game that I think you and or friends or family would enjoy together. And it's not just present in that game. Uh, it's there in some others. I'll mention on the side, there's a game called Ra, R-A, by Reiner Knizia, which is also one of his auction and bidding games. And it doesn't quite feel as businessy as investor-oriented, because it's set in ancient Egypt. But if you are interested in this kind of a game, that is a lot more purchasable. I think you'll find that on Amazon and other gaming sites. Anyway, so that's number four. And then finally, number five. And number five is the one with an interview attached to it, because it's Pandemic Legacy Season 1. That is the name of the game, Pandemic Legacy. And before I introduce Rob Davio, who is the designer of that game, I just want to briefly explain a little bit about why I like this game and how it connects to investing. But before we continue, this episode of Rule Breaker Investing is brought to you by Casper. Casper is revolutionizing the mattress industry by cutting the cost of dealing with resellers and showrooms and passing that savings directly to the consumer. Casper's mattress is an obsessively engineered mattress at a very fair price. How much time do you spend on your mattress, by the way? I think I think it's always worth spending extra for the stuff you spend a lot of time with. For me, I always buy a really nice computer for the same reason. Anyway, you can easily buy a Casper's mattress online, completely risk-free. Casper offers free delivery and painless returns within a 100-day period. Wow. 100 days. So you don't have to lie down in a showroom. Get a Casper Twin mattress for $500 or a king size mattress for $950. Comparing this to industry averages, that's an outstanding price point. You can save an additional $50 toward a mattress purchase just because you're a fool. So just go to casper.com slash fool, enter the promo code. Yep, you guessed it, fool. That's casper.com slash fool, promo code fool to save yourself an additional $50. Terms and conditions apply. So, one thing that's really cool in board games in the last 10 or 15 years that was not there when I was a wee whippersnapper 30 or 40 years ago is there are a lot more cooperative board games today. And a lot of people don't expect that. When they think of a board game, they think about, I don't know, losing or beating their brother in Parcheesi or um, having a miserable time trying to learn bridge from their uncle or something like that. But the truth is, while you may have lost or not had good experiences in competitive situations, there are a lot of games today that are not about beating up on all the people around the table. Again, those are fun games too. But as it turns out, there's a whole emergent genre of cooperative board games. And one of the prime examples in the last decade is a game called Pandemic. Now, again, I know many of you, I bet, have played Pandemic. I hope you've seen it or played it. A game designed by Matt Leacock and a very successful uh, commercially game in the geeky world of board games. A game where you and your friends around the table are trying together to beat the game 
The theme, of course, is a pandemic, an epidemic, a disease that threatens to end life on Earth. And there are a few different strains of that disease. And you all need to stamp it down and eliminate it, eradicate it from the board in front of you, which is simulating planet Earth. So if you know what a risk board looks like, where you have every country represented, that's kind of what a pandemic board looks like. You see all the countries out there, capital cities, and you see disease breaking out in them. And you need to cooperate together, each of you playing a different role, cooperate together to end and that disease. So it's it's a great thematic, but on its own, Pandemic, a game I very much like, isn't quite as great as what came after it, and that's Pandemic Legacy. Pandemic Legacy added a new innovation, the Legacy Innovation, an innovation we're going to be talking about very shortly, that changes the nature of some games. And most simply, what Legacy does is it makes each game session that you play, each time you play that game, it makes the past matter for the future. So when you play together Pandemic Legacy Season 1, that's the game. You can buy it on Amazon. It's now the number one rated game. I'll be talking about this with Rob, the number one rated game on Board Game Geek. Considered, in some senses, therefore, the greatest game of all time right now. When you play your first game, whatever happens then matters and carries over to the second time you play and the third time you play. And you find yourself ripping up cards in some cases. The game instructs you to this. If you win game three, you unlock, open up a little box that had been closed that has new pieces, new components that changes the rules of the game for game four. When you play through season one, almost like a television show, 12 to 20 or so sessions of this game with your same game group over time. So the concept of legacy is fascinating. How does that connect to investing? Well, we're nothing if we're not long-term. I know, as any regular rule breaker knows, I don't like the phrase long-term investing because it's a tautology. As investors, by nature, we are long-term. And I love the legacy format of games, Pandemic Legacy being the best example so far. You're all about the long-term. What you do now matters for the next time you play the game. And that connection from one session to the next, or if you're an investor, from one year to the next, compounding returns, all of those things really play out in a most interesting way, thanks to this legacy format, and uh, especially Pandemic Legacy. Okay, I'm cutting myself a little bit short there, because as presaged earlier in this podcast, we have the designer of Pandemic Legacy Season 1, and some other fine board games as well, Rob Davio. Rob, a pleasure to have you join Rule Breaker Investing this week. Well, thanks for having me. So, Rob, I want to ask you first, how did you dream up just the legacy format? My my own familiarity, I think, started with Risk Legacy. I think you were working with Hasbro at the time. I'm pretty sure Risk is a Hasbro brand. Yep. You were working on Risk Legacy. How did the idea come to you? Uh, the idea came actually for the game of Clue. Uh, I was working at Hasbro. I worked there for 14 years, and we were doing a brainstorm. And I just said, I don't know why they keep inviting these mass murderers to dinner, like like week <laughs> after week. And it was this sort of this moment of, um, wait, we make so many assumptions about games, you know, like you start at the beginning and there's always one winner. And, and so this just became a thing where I said, wait a second, why does a game have to start over every single time? There's a lot of things that don't. TV shows don't, comic books don't, um, you know, role-playing games don't. But board games always reset back to start, but the players who are playing them don't. You know, you start playing and you start saying, oh, don't, don't let, you know, Bill do this and don't let Jen do that. 
Um, and so I thought, isn't there a way for a board game to sort of pick up a little bit where it left off? And that eventually led to Risk Legacy and then Pandemic Legacy. Mm. Now, Rob, you make it sound as if it's kind of a commonsensical, kind of matter-of-fact thing, but really, I'm picturing you, the game designer, sitting underneath a tree and a coconut dropping up from on high and hitting you on the head, and it hadn't hit any other game designer, I think, in the history of humanity, at least as I know it, up until that moment when it hit you, did 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 you get hit by something at the time? I mean, you're making it sound like it's pretty pretty obvious, but you actually broke the rules here. I I did, and it wasn't obvious. And I knew at the moment, um, my boss, who's a big gamer, I said that. I said, what if the game didn't go all the way back to start? What if some of the things you did carried through? And he was taking down a whole bunch of ideas, and he looked at me, and I looked at him, and we were like, wait a minute, this is kind of a big thing. Mm. Right, this is, and I didn't know exactly what that meant, and it took about a year before I could figure out how to do it. And then it, a lot of the time in that year was getting up the courage to make the changes in the game permanent, to put a sticker on the board, to rip up a card, to write something, to make it sort of a, a permanent one-way trip. That took a bit of nerve, and I had to sort of steel myself up into doing it. Mm. And uh, l- let me ask you, since we're talking, we're going to talk about Pandemic Legacy in a sec, but a lot of us have played Risk, even even a fair number of maybe I'll use the phrase, non-gamers, might have had some experience with, with Risk over the course of their lives. I'm, I know you did, Rob, as a long-time gamer. Before Risk Legacy, just what was your favorite aspect of the game of Risk? And then maybe what was, what's been your least favorite feeling about the game of Risk? Um, well, it's almost the same thing. Um, Risk is, a, is like this little Skinner box experiment about how well people react to wild swings of luck and people you know, stabbing you. At the last minute. So if you're in, if you get that swing of luck where you just roll, like you go into a battle that you shouldn't win, and then the odds just, you get the right end of the bell curve. It's this sort of exhilarating feeling that you either held out in this great defense or won a battle against odds. And if you're on the other side of it, and the person who you thought was your ally turns around and attacks you and rolls over you and you roll poorly, you can be like highs and lows in that moment. Risk is a game that makes people very, very mad. (laughs) <laughs> and in fact, it's probably turned off some people almost permanently from the industry because people who are not into that or not as competitive, probably they got sat down to a risk board at some point, had that experience, and maybe even swore off the whole genre. I, I can see that. It came out in 59, and it did many new things, but one of the things that it did was just allow for some cutthroat play. Yeah, if you sat down and you weren't a gamer and you sat down to risk and then you found yourself eliminated half an hour in because your your you know your best friend who asked you to play your boyfriend your girlfriend or whatever you'd be like I don't like games I'm not into this I mean it's pretty hardcore. <laughs> uh, and selfishly, I have to ask you: uh, at some point, um, my high school son Zach, uh, this most recent school year, had an extra copy kicking around the household, which is not uncommon in our household, of Risk Legacy. I all of a sudden noticed him having three or four friends over, maybe Friday nights after school, and playing and getting a fair way so far through Risk Legacy. He's not finished it yet. I think he might be winning. I'm not really sure, but how could I not ask the designer, the mind behind this game, for a tip? No spoilers, because we know stuff can pop up as a surprise. No spoilers, but how, could you just give Zach one bit of advice about trying to beat his friends at Risk Legacy? Um, well, the trick to Risk in general is to really convince everyone that you're not winning, which is harder in Risk Legacy, because there's a <laughs> lot of evidence if you are winning. But if two other people are fighting, then you are winning, because they are both losing with you know, like people and you are not. 
So a lot of what happens in risk is above the table where you try to convince people to attack each other. Yeah, I know I want a pass game, but I'm not winning now. I'll just stay back here. You get him and I'll just hang out and then we'll be cool. And you get everyone else to fight like sort of at your feet. That is outstanding advice, Rob. Do you do you think that that works outside of the game of risk? Is that is that a life strategy that I've just heard? Um, it's a pretty cruel one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I would say actually it is right. Like you have no risk when other you know if if two people are fighting and someone's going to lose, don't be one of the two if if possible. <laughs> Okay, enough risk. Let's talk about Pandemic Legacy. So, this is a game that was designed by Matt Leacock as Pandemic, a success certainly for a lot of people, again, who may not be as into board games as we are. They don't even realize there are such things as cooperative board games where you can actually sit around the table and be playing with all the people around the table. Very family oriented, in particular, in the case of Pandemic, you're trying to save the world from a horrible uh, epidemic disease or actually a few different strains. Now, did you did you pitch Matt on this idea? Did he pitch you? How did how did Pandemic Legacy Season One come to be? Um, Matt approached me. I had left Hasbro about a year before, and Risk Legacy had made some waves in the board game industry. As you said, it was a little different. And I just got an email saying, "Would you like to try to do this Legacy thing with Pandemic?" And I just wrote the word yes, and I think two hundred point email and that was the only thing I sent back (laughs) and so we gave it a try neither of us expected to do as well as it has but something about the cooperative nature where it's everyone against the game but there are like 12 different episodes in this sort of season you know that um, it's been really compelling for people and um, as I may have mentioned earlier uh, this game is now the number one rated game of all time on board game geek which for geeky people like me is the magnet site for board games today. And I'm thinking, Rob, even as ambitious as you might have been at the time and as good a partner as you had met, you are maybe even surprised by how well received it's been? Uh, shocked beyond belief is a better, is more than surprised, right? So I was like, okay, this is kind of a crazy idea. It worked with risk. Let's see if it works here. I'm starting my own company. This is kind of a gamble I can take doing something kind of radical here. And then I turned around, I was like, oh, oh, wow, this is doing very well. And then it actually on January 1st of this year, it hit number one. Mm. And I owe Matt a bottle of wine because I bet it wouldn't. Wow. So. And out of curiosity, I know, Rob, you operate from Western Massachusetts. Does Is Matt in the hood somewhere? Or how did you guys collaborate? Uh, he is in the Bay Area. And we do a lot of video calls, ranging from an hour to four hours. And we share screens, and we have a Google Drive with files, and it's just a lot of face-to-face talking through a screen. How hard is it to play test something where you don't really know how each individual group is going to play the game, and all of a sudden, nine games in, they're doing something that is all affected by something that happened six games earlier, and you're trying to balance it out so that it's so people feel rewarded and like the game, unlike Risk, isn't swinging wildly out of their control. How hard has it been to play test a legacy format game? Uh, it's been kind of a delightful nightmare. Yeah, sometimes delightful, sometimes <laughs> nightmare. What we did with Pandemic, which um, Pandemic Legacy, which has worked great, is we have each group videotape every minute of their playtest session, and then we watch those and take notes. Mm. So even if something goes off the rails, we can go back and in, in to like see game three where it went, and, and usually our notes will say, "Oh, they played something wrong," or we'll see how this decision plays out, and we'll get three or four groups to play through the you know the entire campaign or as far as we've designed and then we spend hours watching them and taking notes and then weeks fixing it and then we send out another three or four games to different groups and we just keep repeating that 
until we have something we like. Rob Davio, it's been a real pleasure connecting here through Rule Breaker Investing. It's not every week we talk board games on this podcast, but I suspect, because I know there was some excitement about this interview ahead of time, maybe we'll have occasion in future to talk a little bit more board games in our second year of Rule Breaker Investing than we did in our first. But, Rob, a real pleasure to connect with you. Uh, Let me give you an opportunity to plug something, because I know, and I know you know, but not everybody knows, that the very first game that is being created purely as a legacy format game. Because after all, we've been talking about Risk Legacy. Well, Risk was already a game. We've talked Pandemic Legacy. Pandemic was already a game. But you are coming out with a game that is... uh, I pre-ordered more than one copy, Seafall. Briefly talk about Seafall, and maybe even give a hint as to when it's going to be out. Uh, Yeah, Seafall is a game that took me like three years to make. It is a legacy game, so you you play it, you get a group together, and one game leads to the next. And it's basically Indiana Jones in the 17th century. So each one of you plays the leader of a province. You're trying to amass the most glory. You go out to sea. You explore islands. You find mysterious things. You raid each other's provinces. You build buildings. You burn each other's buildings down. You buy treasures. And basically, it's this sort of ongoing development of this age of exploration that takes place over... 15 games, each one about two hours long, until the end, whoever has amassed the most glory becomes the emperor of all the land and sea. So it is a wonderfully ambitious game. It's got, um, like, I think a 60-page, 400-entry chapter book that gives you the history of this world, Mm. and it'll be out in August or September, probably September, let's say, just to be be safe. You can pre-order it now on the Plaid Hat Games website, which I would appreciate. Um, and then it'll be delivered to you in September. Wonderful. So, yes, that's Plaid Hat Games, which is publishing Rob's Seafall design. And if you are a gamer, especially if you're a legacy gamer, uh, this is a, a great development, I think, for games. Rob, it's a real pleasure to speak with a fellow rule breaker this week. Keep breaking the rules and fool on. Thank you. All right, there you have it. And you heard from one of my favorite game designers. You also heard five favorite board games that will make you a better investor. If you heard something new, you feel motivated to go out and get one of these, I think that's great because there's never enough gaming happening in this world. One of the things that I do within Full HQ, I don't actually use this word, but I'm kind of a game evangelist within Motley Fool headquarters. I'm not the only one. We have a lot of gamers and fans of the Fool. In fact, a lot of excitement internally when we discussed the idea that we might have Rob Davio on this show, which we have from some serious... Davio fans of The Fool. So, there we have it. Five favorite board games that will make you a better investor. And I want to remind you in closing that I have a longer form interview with Rob coming up. It'll come out on iTunes and Spotify, etc. this Saturday. And next week on Rule Breaker Investing, yes, it's that time of the month. It's mailbag time. So, I look forward to your questions and comments. In fact, I've pre-taped it because I will be technically away from Fool Headquarters. We'll be off on summer break. So I already know which questions you're going to be asking. In fact, you don't need to ask any this week if you don't want to because I've already taped the show and it's a good one. I'm looking forward to starting the second year of Rule Breaker Investing with you. Thank you. See you then. Fool on. As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Learn more about Rule Breaker Investing at rbi.fool.com.